The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Today, we're speaking with investigative journalist Scott Carney. He was a contributing editor editor at Wired for five years, and his writing also appeared in Mother Jones, Men's Journal, Playboy, Foreign Policy, Discover, Outside, and Fast Company. His work has been the subject of a variety of radio and television programs, including the on NPR and National Geographic. Today, we're discussing his book, What Doesn't Kill Us. So, Scott, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on, Rebecca. So, what inspired you to write this book? Well, you know, I had been, uh, you know, I'm an investigative journalist, and, and uh, for the the prior about six years to, to when I started this book, I had been investigating sort of corruption around the world, and I was getting interested in, I had just written a book about people who follow uh, sort of spiritual ideas to their sort of end result. And in particular, I was interested in sort of, in sort of false gurus, people who promise they can give you superpowers through meditation or prayer, uh, make you rich through, through positive thinking, that sort of thing. And I had followed the story of this guy who had, had followed one of these gurus until uh, who, who promised that he could become an angel just by meditating. And this ended with him dying by meditation in the deserts of Arizona. He literally died of dehydration in the deserts of Arizona, uh, pursuing these sort of lofty spiritual goals. Meanwhile, the, the guru who was, had, had told him these promises was getting rich off of, off of these sort of spiritual claims and, and had amassed a big following. So I wrote a book called The Death on Diamond Mountain about this sort of really charlatan-esque spirituality out there. And so with that in mind, when I heard about this guy named Wim Hof, who's this Dutch fitness guru living in, uh, in Poland and in the Netherlands, two places, uh, he had made these claims that he could teach you through meditation to become immune to the elements, to be able to control your body temperature at will, to be able to control your immune system at will. And I figured that he was basically lying. He was trying to accumulate money by, by offering sort of these false claims, and I went out to disprove him. But it turned out, once I was there, you know, I found out that Wim Hof is actually a, a surprisingly interesting person, is not motivated personally by money. Uh, and, uh, you know, his claims that, that he could teach you to, you know, roll in the snow and sort of exist in the Arctic without any clothing ended up being true. Uh, I, in about a week, I, you know, found myself sort of in this you know, frigid winter environment, standing in my bathing suit for an hour at a time, sweating. And it, it just was really surprising that he was able to to develop this method uh, that was accurate. So the, What Doesn't Kill Us comes out of that initial meeting. It was a story that ended up in Playboy magazine. And, uh, and, and you know, it's sort of been a wild ride ever since. Well, you know, I think anybody listening who's who's hearing you talk about rolling around in the snow is probably having the same reaction that that you did. That that that's just crazy. I mean, I I live where there's snow six months out of the year, pretty much, and I think you're crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, (laughs) you know, like, you know, I, I put boots on before I go out in the snow. I don't go out there barefoot the way you did. Sure. Um, um, so yeah. So just tell us what happened when, when you went to go, um, and you spent some time with him. What, what happened there? 
Well, you know, the first thing is I, you know, I get off the plane in this uh, town called Roclaw, and, you know, you, you meet Wim Hof, and he is a, you know, sort of short, ruddy face sort of guy with a big bulbous nose, and he had like a green hat on that made him look like a garden gnome. Uh, not a very impressive figure when you, you first meet him. Uh, and, you know, he, 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 we take this, I think it was about a two-hour drive from there to the Carcanose Mountains, uh, and where he has this sort of little training center. And there were about two other guys with me in the, in the car. And the first thing I remember is, you know, we, we got out of the car and we sort of shoved our rucksacks in this sort of dilapidated house that he uses for a training center. And I, it's on the second floor where, his, his, uh, where the room is that I was staying. And I looked out the window and there was this guy this American dude named Andrew, I later learned, standing in his underwear in the middle of the snowy field, throwing snow on himself, and there was steam coming up off of his body. And I was, you know, shocked as, A, why would anyone want to stay outside in the middle of this winter? You know, this is the, the winter that stopped the Nazi army. You know, it's like really, really cold outside. And this guy's just sort of happily throwing snow on himself. And like you, uh, I thought this guy was crazy. Um, and yet... These people who were doing it were, you know, seemed pretty happy. And, you know, while the other people in the in this sort of group were really energized by the idea because they were already already gotten the idea in their head that cold could be useful and even fun, uh, they they went out and, and started doing the same thing. And I was still reticent, uh, obviously, uh, until I started hanging out with Wim Hof. And, you know, his, his, what he, he suggests is that, you know, our species, you know, where, where we come from. We, you know, we're about 200,000 years old, uh, humans are. And in that time, we constantly dealt with environmental variation. We, we dealt with uh, extreme cold and extreme heat sort of on a continual basis. And that in order to do that, we had, you know, physical um, uh, physical powers to allow us to be able to do this, just sort of biological abilities to adapt to the environment. And now, in the present day, where we live with modern heating, electricity, all of these things that make it keep us comfortable, we look at those environmental variations as painful and as dangerous. But our bodies have evolved to be able to adapt to it. And, and it's really our lack of habituation to the environment which is the problem. And so what he's doing, what looks extreme from the outside, it's actually just something that we're designed to be able to do. And, you know, once I started learning that idea, it became very easy to start, you know, at least conceptually going into the snow. And, you know, at first it hurts because, you know, I haven't been conditioned to it. For, you know, most of us who live at 72 degrees all year round, you know, that is an extreme shift. But as you get used to it, uh, it becomes, you know, quite easy to deal with, with what we would think is extreme weather without very much technology to help us along. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I when I was reading your book and, and reading about the extreme cold, of course, my, my first response is, well, I don't want to be uncomfortable. You know, it's nice and cozy inside, and in the winter, last thing I want to do is is go outside. I, you know, I'm not a skier, so um, it... it it, it's uh, I think they, they get exposed to the elements a little more but you know as I, I read your book over it and and um, it, it started to make sense you know um, that we are meant to not be as comfortable as we are and I that is does seem to be one of our problems food is more available you know we're, we're not exercising enough and like in, in all all of this putting into a category that that we're just not challenging ourselves enough overall Right, exactly. And, and that, you know, our, our, our bodies are meant for variation. We evolved in constantly varying environments and, and, you know, with all sorts of stimulus coming to us. And now that our lives are so easy, we, we look at that sort of challenge of existing as suffering, which is, which is funny because that, this concept has only really appeared in the last, say, hundred or so years uh, that, that, that we can have most of our biological needs met by, you know, sort of industrial agriculture, by the heating, the, PG, the, the electric company that, that sends both gas and electricity to the house. And, and, and what we're essentially doing is outsourcing biological capacity to the technology and the institutions that we've created. And in turn, by doing that, our bodies don't put in the effort to allow 
you know, to build up the systems to, say, resist the environment, to resist the cold and do these sorts of things. And that, you know, fundamentally makes our biology weaker. It'd be the same as, say, you know, if you never exercise, you know, you just don't believe in exercise. You don't, you know, want to go for a run or a bike ride or a hike or anything. The muscles that would allow you to do those things, to hike, you know, or run or whatever, atrophy. And, 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 and then that thing, the idea of, say, running three miles becomes... Uh, undo suffering becomes sort of this impossible feat. And so what I'm suggesting in this book is that we look at temperature as equally as important as exercise and, 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 and that by exposing yourself to variations in the environment, you actually make this sort of hidden biology that deals with that temperature fluctuation a lot stronger. So how did you become acclimatized to the cold? What, what happened in that week that made you more comfortable with it? Well, it's really just this, this, it's a biological process. Like, you, you know, you, and it's, it's quite rapid. Like the first day, um, you know, we learned this, this Wim Hof, you know, breathing technique. And then, you know, I, I think we can go into that a little bit later for what that is. But essentially after that, you go into the snow, you know, or, or any sort of cold environment and you just stand there. I mean, it's not a conscious thing. You just sort of stand there and resist those that impulse to flee, that impulse to clench up uh, and sort of protect yourself with your fight or flight responses, which is generally what you'll do first. You'll have this sort of clenching or shivering effect. You just try to resist that, um, that clenching and tell your body that, no, I'm safe. I'm going to be okay. You know, uh, you know, and, and very quickly your body first realizes that it's not in extreme danger. You know, even at Let's see, what was it then? It was about two degrees Fahrenheit. And, the, the, you know, the first day I'm sort of I'm out there, uh, it, it, with bare feet in the snow, the feet hurt, right? You know, they absolutely hurt because we had, I had this vasoconstriction response where the, the veins in my feet and extremities clench. And there, because there's there's muscles that line the veins in your extremities, uh, and and you know in in my life I'd never really done that. I'd never really exercised those vascular muscles. Uh, and after about five minutes, I was done. I like had to go in and get heated up and and, and warm myself. Uh, but the next day when I did it, you know, it it took ten minutes until that same sort of feeling of clenching, you know, I, that I couldn't resist sort of came in. And at, at every day as I progressed with that small bit uh, of, of, of exposure, uh, you know, it went from 10 minutes to 30 minutes to an hour at the end of a week that I could stand there and be comfortable in the environment. And, and our bodies are just made to be able to adapt. You know, if you think about human evolution, it, the, 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 you know, the, the creatures that were able to adapt to their environment quickly were the ones who passed on their genes. Uh, it wasn't the ones who sort of saw this oncoming snowstorm or, or you change in the weather and said, yeah, I'll get ready in three months to, to adapt to that. Uh, th- those guys didn't pass on their genes. So this is sort of a power that we just have uh, to adapt. So once we adapt, I mean, why, why would we do this? What's the benefit of becoming used to being in the cold for an hour? Sure. Well, lots of things. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, you have these muscles lining your vascular system. Uh, you know, you have 200,000 miles of tubing in your bodies, you know, the arteries and veins uh, that carry blood to and away from your heart. And the ones that are, are, are lined with muscles, mostly in your extremities, uh, they're there for a reason. Like you have those muscles in order to sort of adapt to the environment. And if you never use them, those muscles are weak. So just from a basic exercise idea, you know, you should have stronger muscles than weaker muscles. And by improving those muscles, you, you not only, you know, allow yourself to adapt to the cold more comfortably, but you also, you know, literally strengthen your circulatory system. Uh, the other things that happen in the cold beyond the muscular changes are also metabolic changes. So, you know, the, the technique is to stay in this cold environment, whether it's the snow or a cold shower or, a, you know, cold water or whatever it is, and then you relax in that because your body has these two options to heat itself, right? It can, can heat itself with muscle activity, which is, you know, if, if, you, if you can think about it, if you're running, you get really hot. Uh, it's the, that, that's just one of the ways we heat ourselves is through the action of muscles. And when you clench, 
that is you're trying to heat yourself essentially but what this method suggests is that you actually relax in that environment and instead force your body to find a different strategy to heat itself and in this case what that means is metabolic activity so you start to uh, burn white fat so that spare tire that you you know that many of us carry around our waist uh, and you 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 can uh through a mitochondrial action, uh, you will literally burn white fat directly for heat energy. Uh, so that's great. That's great for insulin regulation. That's great for, you know, just sort of staying trim. And it's also just strengthens this metabolic side of your body that, that we don't use on a daily basis because we're, those needs are usually met by the environment that, that, that we're able to control. Um, so I, I'm I'm glad you mentioned the part about relax because when when I was reading your book, I decided to go have a cold shower and see what that was like. And this is definitely not something that I enjoyed, um, but I felt better after. Um, I didn't stay in it for very long, and I certainly didn't relax in it. But um, you know, I I had more energy after. I'd been reading all all afternoon, and it was pretty warm in the house, so it it uh, it you know, cleared my brain and made me feel a little better. So I, I can see some of those benefits. Um, sure. Definitely need, well, I need to work on the relaxing part though. <laughs> well, well, what happens in a cold shower um, or any of these sort of, uh, sort of fast cold situations, right? Is that you'll, you'll start to release um, cortisol and uh, epinephrine and adrenaline and, the, and these various sort of um, fight or flight stress hormones which can feel really good, that can give you this sense of euphoria. Um, but when you, when you relax in it, you can sort of learn to control the release of those things because you're actually working on these unconscious processes in your body. Um, so, yeah, next time, you know, sit there and try to get that point. You know, you know if you're swimming in the ocean, right? If you, if, you go, if you go for swimming and sort of, you know, a little colder than normal, at first, you know, people, people sort of like, are very uncomfortable at first. Um, but after they swim around for five minutes or so, it, the water starts to feel okay. And that's what you're trying to do in the cold shower. You're trying to get to that point where you recognize that that water is cold, but you don't mind uh, that it's cold. And it's something that's just more of a mental shift than a physical one. Okay. Um, we're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Scott Carney about his book, What Doesn't Kill Us. We'll be back shortly. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. The largest syndicated alternative health talk program has come to the Voice America Network. The Dr. Bob Martin Show is the program that will answer your health questions and help you to heal your own body of many different ailments. Each week, you'll hear the answers that Dr. Bob gives to his callers that help them to be their own doctor most of the time. We'll also discuss developments on the health care front and what you need to do to keep your body in top form. The Dr. Bob Martin Show airs Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com again that's jeff spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com voice america is where you are and where you want to be join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available don't forget to view all our live events including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You 
are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Scott Carney, and we're discussing his book, What Doesn't Kill Us. So, Scott, before the break, we talked about um, the benefits of cold exposure, and we talked about the cold shower, and, of course, you stood in the snow when you went to see Wim Hof. Are there other ways that that people can expose themselves to cold to, to challenge this part of themselves? Well, I think the easiest is certainly the cold shower, right? I mean, because that is just something that is available to everyone, you know, just in their house. Uh, and, you know, in the summer, you know, I'm in Denver right now, so we have pretty warm weather. Uh, it's a little harder to access, but we can find mountain streams and we can find, you know, uh, some, some of the, the lakes here are still reasonably cold. And what you want to do is get into those places and really try to work on this mental reaction that you have to that, that external stimulus. And really, it, it's about relaxing. Um, it's about trying not to trigger that instinctual response, which is you know, related to panic, and, and just start to feel okay with your surroundings. And this is actually a very deep practice. Because what, I, what you're doing is you're, you're asserting your, your mental control over these unconscious physical responses. And the, the more you do that, the more you're able to actually gain control of other parts of your body that you don't really access on an ordinary, you know, ordinarily. Now, if you, if you want to build up, you know, the stronger the stimulus the more of this sort of inner strength you build. So your cold shower might run at you know, 40 degrees Fahrenheit or maybe 50 degrees Fahrenheit. If you can find ice water, uh, which can be like li- literally putting a couple bags of, of store-bought ice in your bathtub and sitting there, that's a little better. And, and you can work up to more and more uh, intense stimulus. And the thing is that you can you can push those extremes really far. You know, you, at the end of that week in Poland, I ended up climbing up a mountain there, you know, sort of, it's a, basically a ski slope. I spent eight hours on the mountain and, uh, you know, just in a bathing suit and hiking boots. I think I may have had a hat on as well, but, you know, bare chested in this, in this snowy environment. And I was there for eight hours and it was about two degrees Fahrenheit. That's sort of a, just a power that you develop very quickly uh, if you do this. You don't need to be in extremely amazing health when you, when you do it. But you know, one of the keys here is to have as much skin uh, available to the environment as possible. And, and that's not just because um, uh, you, you know, it looks flashy or whatever. <laughs> what, what it is is that you're, you're actually exposing more nerve endings to the environment, and that's sending stronger signals to your body that you can then work with. So um, when, when you climbed that mountain, how was that different from where you were at the beginning of that week that you spent with him? Sure. Well, I had lived in, uh, I'd been living in see, Los Angeles for about four years before, the, before I met Wim, and I'd flown directly from there, and I hate the cold. Like, I hate, hate it and, you know, found it very uncomfortable, and just like, Pretty much everyone I tell about this sort of basic method of cold exposure, they'll always say, and I th- I'm pretty sure all of your listeners are thinking this too, well, some people may handle the cold, but me, especially me, I can't do it. It's just hard for me. And, and the thing is that everyone says this uh, because, we, because all of our relationship with discomfort is, in some cases, uh, overblown. Uh, and we think that, that, that it's something which is, is just horrible. And, and that was my view before I went to meet Wim. Like I, I didn't think that it would be something that I would be able to handle. But the surprising thing is, is that it happens very quickly. That adaptation uh, ha- starts to take place in just a couple of days, uh, which is amazing. Uh, and, and the other amazing thing that, uh, you know, to sort of prove that he, and, and probably the reason why I first sort of thought that Wim was onto something was his uh, breathing technique, which 
is, you know, the Wim Hof method is basically two things. It's cold exposure and when relaxing in that cold. And then there is this, uh, you know, sort of daily uh, breathing method. And essentially what you do is uh, take these long, short, quick, deeply controlled breaths. And, and they would sound something like this. And you take about 30 of those breaths. At the end of that, you exhale completely so your lungs are empty and you hold your breath. And, and as you do this, you, know, you, you, you hyperventilate essentially and then, then you exhale and hold your breath. You know, at first, you might be able to hold your breath for like 30 seconds or something like that. The second time, the second round I did that, I could hold my, hold my breath for a minute. Uh, and now, and every morning, what I do now is I, is I increase my, my breath hold times to up to three minutes uh, at a stretch. And so I'll, I'll, hold my, I'll hyperventilate, I'll hold my breath for one minute, I'll hyperventilate, I'll hold my breath for two minutes, and the third, I'll hyperventilate and hold my breath for three minutes. Three minutes sounds like an insane amount of time. And I knew before I did this, I could only hold my breath for about 30 seconds. So there was something about that breathing method that really radically increased this sort of autonomic ability of mine to, to, to just hold my breath. And then what you do in his method is that you do, you, you do push-ups. And I knew that before I went to visit Wim Hof that I could do about 20 normal push-ups. I wasn't in great shape, wasn't in terrible shape, but 20 was about my number. And then when I did his breathing method, you do this hyperventilation and breath retention. And then he tells me to exhale all the air from my lungs and just start doing push-ups. And I did 40 without any air in my lungs. And that was amazing because it was literally doubling that physical ability I had to do push-ups with just a breathing method. And the, the cool thing here is that you're actually, by using this breathing, you're affecting uh, these autonomic um, response to gasp when you need to hold your breath. You know, you know, if you hold your breath, at some point you're going to want to take in more air into your body. You know, you, you exhale the carbon dioxide and let in more oxygen. By by doing these sort of basic body hacks, you're working on that ability that your body has to sort of delay that gasp point. And you learn it so quickly. You, I went from 30 seconds to three minutes. It was really cool. And and essentially that gas point and the delaying of that gas point is the same skill you use to, uh, to suppress shivering when you're in a cold shower or when you're in cold water. It's the same sort of mental trick. And, and realizing that those two things are related, let me understand that you can use these sorts of techniques to affect lots of different autonomic systems in the body. So, um, yeah, so why would we want to work up to holding our breath for, for three minutes? What are we, what are you challenging? Well, one, you're helping your sort of like uh, oxygen saturation, your ability to, to move uh, oxygen around your body and, and, and uh, you know, allowing for tolerances in, in your you know, respir- respiration processes. But what you're also doing is this mental trick, right? More, just as important as the breathing, right, is the ability to express your, your will, your mental will over that physical process, over that physical response to gasp. And, and, and that helps you modulate your stress. It helps you modulate um, sort of these unconscious things that affect us every day. So, you know, you're, you're really doing two things. One, you're sort of working your lungs, you're working your, your sort of mental grit, uh, and you're, you're sort of cracking into your unconscious biology. Um, so in, in Wim Hof's method, he also does meditation. What exactly is he doing there? Well, this is the meditation. That's the really oh, okay. cool thing about the Wim Hof method is that, you know, usually we think about meditation as uh, this sort of act where you're sort of turning off all of your mental awareness or, or focusing on a point or a mantra or something like this. But Wim Hof's meditation is very physical. It's, it's this, you know, by hyperventilating, you know, you'll get dizzy. You'll, you'll um, you know, your, your limbs may tingle. You know, all of these sort of physical things force you into your center. And, and that's why it's a really powerful meditation is that it, it does all those goals that you want in sort of mindfulness meditation, but it actually forces your body into that point so quickly. I mean, there's nothing like jumping into cold ice water to make you realize exactly how situated in your body you really are. And that, that, that mental focus you use 
to relax is a very powerful self-centering uh, uh, technique. So you took um, a six-month challenge to to do Wim Hof's method, and and you got uh, studied. Um, what what happened for you in that time? Yeah. So what that challenge was, and this was uh, several years after I met Wim Hof, uh, I had decided to to practice his breathing method every morning, take cold showers every day, and uh, and you know exercise outdoors in minimal clothing. What else did I do? And, you know, take, you know, jump into ice water whenever it was available and I could or roll in the snow if it was snowing and that sort of thing. And before I did this, I got my uh, metabolism studied at the uh, Boulder Center for Sports Medicine, which is a very good uh, sort of sports medicine center here uh, in the Boulder, Denver area. And, you know, they tested my VO2 max. They, they tested what sorts of things my body metabolizes for energy. You know, you can burn carbohydrates, you can burn fats. Uh, and, and they found that I was a pretty normal dude at the very beginning of this. Uh, I burned mostly carbohydrates when I was running. Uh, and, you know, and I, and I had, you know, pretty okay VO2 max. Uh, after six months of this training, when I was writing this book, and where I was literally on, only adding uh, about 15 minutes of breathing and then cold showers every day, uh, in addition to my normal exercise routine. Uh, what happened is that my, I, I went from a primarily a carbohydrate burner to primarily a fat burner uh, because my metabolism had changed in relation to the cold. I'd also increased my VO2 max. And when I asked the doctor... Uh, who was studying me, what, what, you know, sort of this means outside of the, the scientific jargon, he said it was the equivalent of me adding about seven hours of cardio uh, workout to my routine every week, uh, when in reality, all I was doing was adding about 15 minutes of, of extra work. So that was pretty cool, uh, is that when you start thinking about modulating the environment and your breathing, uh, that also works in, in a similar manner to exercise and in some ways even more efficiently. Um, well, th- that is pretty cool because most people don't want to add seven hours of, of workout to their routine every week. And, uh, you know, we all take showers so we can add the cold part at the end and then you just do the, the breathing every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, totally. uh, yeah, and you maximized um, the use of everything. Um, did you lose weight as well in that time just doing all of that? I did. At the, at the end of, of the whole uh, project, I was down to 178 uh, after that sort of six months of, of, of training. And I, I, I think I came down from about, I think I was about 198 when I started, uh, maybe 195. So, so pretty significant for, you know, just doing environmental training. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty um, interesting. Um, so in your book, you talk about uh, brown fat. Can you just explain that a little bit? Because it, it, um, yeah. you talk about that when you're talking about this study as well. Sure. Well, so brown fat is one of these metabolic tissues. You know how I mentioned that when you relax, you will start turning uh, instead of using your muscles to heat yourself, you'll use a metabolic action uh, and uh, you'll activate mitochondria. Now, brown fat is one of these very mitochondrial-rich tissues that humans have. And, and most people, let me say that's not the right word. So when you're born, uh, the first challenge that human infants have to survival is maintaining a body temperature, uh, maintaining 98.6. This is why you you put sick babies, uh, you know, uh, and premature babies into incubators because you're trying to give them that sort of you know uh, uh, the ability to keep that that body temperature. Now, for infants, the 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 issue for them not able to to keep their body temperature up is because the way we heat ourselves mostly is with digestion. It's with and it's with muscle movement. And infants have no real musculature when they're born and their digestive system is pretty bad. Uh, the other way you can heat yourself is with your circulation. Their circulation is also bad. So instead, what infants are born with are these big, fat baby rolls. You, know, you can picture an infant and they have lots of rolls of, of fat. Well, what brown, they also, in addition to the sort of those white fat baby rolls, they have this tissue called brown adipose tissue or brown fat, which lines their spines and across their shoulders and also in their thorax. And 
what its job is to do is simply suck white fat from their bodies and burn it directly for heat energy. And this is how all of us survived when we were first born. Now, until about the mid-2000s, we didn't really realize, we thought that brown fat disappeared in humans as we aged up. You know, as by the time we hit 20 or 22, it would be just like a teaspoon of brown fat because it, it become, we, we thought of it just as vestigial tissue that was only infants used. And then in, I think, in 2000, between 2004 and 2007, uh, doctors at Harvard discovered that people who live in constantly cold environments don't actually lose their brown adipose tissue. And, and the reason that they thought they, that, that we lost is just because all the people they were studying li- had lived in climate-controlled environments. So now there's this huge research study going on. The, uh, the National Institutes of Health have uh, in, invested about $1 billion in trying to understand how we can maximize and grow brown fat. Uh, and, you know, most of these studies are trying to develop a, like a pharmaceutical pill that you'll take that will create brown fat. So it will, it will essentially be this miracle weight loss pill. But the truth is, to, if you want to grow it, all you have to do is expose yourself to cold and your body will simply generate this tissue. Well, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's pretty encouraging. Um, we're we're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Scott Carney, and we're discussing his book, What Doesn't Kill Us. So we'll be back shortly. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. What causes us to be sick? We're not talking about the actual illness or the scientific cause of illnesses. We're talking about your body and health. Listen for the healing whisper of return to peace. Each week, host Dr. Marianne Chase shows you how to listen to your heart to identify poor health, stress, and disease. You'll learn how to heal energetically and spiritually as well as physically. It's time to depend less on the drugs and more on the heart. The Healing Whisper airs live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN. The Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Scott Carney, and we're discussing his book, What Doesn't Kill Us. So, Scott, there was a study done uh, with Wim Hof on endotoxins. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, sure. So, the endotoxin study is really the, the point where Wim Hof sort of showed that he wasn't just sort of spiritual flim-flam, is that he had actual control over his body. And, and what it is is that he made this claim to an immunologist in Holland, saying that he could consciously suppress his immune system, which means that using his mental tricks or whatever it is, he could turn off 
um, you know, immune responses, which, which, to give you some context, that would be an amazing feat for anyone suffering from any sort of autoimmune illness where your body is attacking itself. The, unfortunately, that was technically considered uh, physically impossible because there's no connection between the brain and the immune system, or, um, or that's what scientists thought at the time. And so what the test was, uh, it was designed by this immunologist um, to test uh, immune rejection drugs. So think about anything that might help you uh, if, if you got an organ transplant. The, they need drugs that will turn off your immune system so you, the immune system won't eat that kidney that you just got from a donor. And what it is, is this, it's this bacteria called endotoxin, which is essentially E. coli bacteria that's been killed in a lab. So it doesn't it's not actually toxic. It's not, it doesn't actually uh, attack the body, but it does have the cytokines and the cell markers on it that would, that would tell the, the immune system to attack it. So if you're injected with endotoxin, what happens is you get a fever, you get achy joints, you get the, the normal things that would, would feel like a, you know, the flu is coming on. And 99% of people who get injected with endotoxin get these symptoms. Well, what happened with Wim Hof is he went into the lab, said that he could you know, not have that response. Uh, they injected him, uh, you know, and were testing his blood and trying to understand what happened to his body, and nothing happened. He had literally no or, or barely any immune response. He complained of only a minor headache. Even more interesting is that his blood, after being removed from his body, remained resistant to the endotoxin for three days uh, in the laboratory. This was a crazy experiment. Uh, and the doctors at the time were like, well, this is, you know, makes us consider some of our basic medical assumptions about the immune system. But they made the caveat that maybe Wim is this just genetic freak. Maybe he's this guy who just has some ability. You know, we said 99% of people could resist it, um, would, would have that response. There's still that 1% of weird outliers who, who might work differently. Uh, so then a one year later, uh, they, they designed another experiment where they took, uh, let's see, I believe it was 12 college students from Holland, and they did the same training that I did with Wim in, in, in Poland, which was, you know, rolling in the snow and learning his breathing techniques, eventually climbing a mountain, uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, several miles from his house in their, in their underwear. And they came back, and then the scientists injected all of them with endotoxin, and they had the same results as Wim, which is amazing because it showed that not only did this technique work for Wim, but that it was teachable to other people. And this has been the study that we go back to over and over again, and, and that they're they're still conducting follow up research on to show that like, you know using these techniques, you could actually you know in not just suppressing your shiver response or not just expanding the amount of time that you can, you can hold your breath, what you're actually doing is affecting these very deep structures in your body and, and literally affecting these systems that should be unconscious. You know, th- this is really interesting because, you know, we believe that we can't control our immune system except maybe some pharmaceutical drugs or some supplements that that we don't have control. And, of course, that's not obviously not the case. Right. And, and, and it's just, it's, it's miraculous. It's so cool. And, you know, and, and, it, and it's not just only in the laboratory that this works. When I, when I went there and I visited lots of people who Wim knows, uh, not, not, you know, this is after Poland. I went in and visited people around Holland who were using his techniques. And I met several people. You know, dozens of people really who claimed that it, that that these breathing techniques and these cold exposures helped them with a variety of autoimmune illnesses. Uh, I met a guy who was suffering from crippling rheumatoid arthritis. So we're talking about those plum-sized joints in your knuckles and your your feet that you get when you're older, which is essentially your immune system attacking uh, the area in your joints. Uh, he was able to reverse. Uh, that rheumatoid arthritis in, in the course of probably six months of this of these breathing exercises. I met another guy who had Crohn's disease, which is you know you think about uh, it's basically ulcers that went from his mouth all the way out uh, to his rectum. Thousands of these ulcers. Uh, he was able to reverse that in six months with these. With and he attributed this to to the cold exposure. I also met a guy who was using uh, the Wim Hof methods. Uh, for his Parkinson's disease, and although it didn't cure it, he said that it had drastically reduced his dependence on the drugs that he was he was using. Now, 
These are, of course, anecdotes. They're not sort of rigorous medical trials with tens of thousands of people using it. But what's fascinating is to meet a whole variety of people who are really seeing these dramatic effects. And when you put that in the context of the endotoxin study, it's really impressive. Um, yeah, it is definitely. I mean, when you're looking at um, any of those illnesses, um, there, you know, people just live with them and they continue to suffer. And um, you know, the medications will cover up symptoms and they'll have side effects. And uh, if we can have you know, more control over our body, I, I think we need to embrace whatever it is that's going to work. And this actually seems uh, fairly simple compared to some other things. I mean, really, a cold shower every day is not complicated once you adjust to it. And you're saying it doesn't even take that long. No, it's pretty easy. And, you know, and also, like, let's go back to some evolutionary stuff here. Is if, if you If we evolved in an environment that was constantly changing, right? Those changes are ingrained in our biology, right? That, that, that our bodies just assume that those changes will be out there. And 100 years is nothing in, in evolution. That's a blink of an eye in terms of us passing on genes and moving around. So our bodies are still expecting changes. And one of the uh, sort of uh, assumptions that we're making in this in this book and in these guesses is that it, the immune system is also attached to that overarching system of, of recognizing changes. You know, but we live in these sterile environments. We live in in a place where there's there's no variation in, in in the temperatures. And if you think about the immune system as a predator, right, something that's there to go attack the stuff that goes, you know, that that might be attacking your body, then. What these temperature variations are doing is essentially giving that predator a chew toy because that predator is bored right now. It doesn't have anything to do. It's not getting the stimulus that it needs. So by giving it some external stimuli, you give it essentially something to do. Now, that's not a medical ex- explanation, but that's sort of the, metaphorically how I think about what, how this is working. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, you know, one one thing in in this journey that you did with Wim Hof is you climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, um, and what you did was also pretty special. Can you tell us what what that journey was? Yeah, so I wanted to, to end the book showing that you know you're able to do some really crazy things, right? I wanted to, to have a big event. And so Wim Hof was leading this expedition up to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro, uh, where he would do, be doing two things. One, going shirtless, uh, you know, and in shorts up to the top. And then, and that's just to prove that we could resist the elements. And it got down to, you know, with wind chill at the, at the you know, sort of the last stretch of, of Kili, it, it got to about negative 30. And I was able to be outside with my skin bare to the cold for most of that time uh, in that temperature, just using these mental tricks, you know, which is amazing. But even more interesting than that is that Kilimanjaro has a uh, only about a 60% success rate for people who want to climb it. And it's not because Kilimanjaro is a difficult mountain to climb. It's actually more or less a hike. There's no technical sides. You don't need ropes or anything like that. But the reason it has such a low success rate is because of altitude sickness. You're going from a very low altitude to a very high altitude, and as you go up, the air pressure decreases so that you're able to put less oxygen into your body. And and so it takes five days to get to the top, five to ten usually is how, how long it takes to get to the summit. And, you know, you stop every couple hours to just let your body build up more red blood cells to carry more oxygen so that you can actually get to the top. But even then, a lot of 40% of people fail. What we did instead was we used his breathing method, which was basically hyperventilating, uh, you know, that deep, fast breathing. Uh, and, and we just went straight to the top. And I managed to get to the top with this group of about 30 people uh, in just 28 hours, which is blisteringly fast. It's not a world record, but it defies the idea of, of uh, this altitude sickness. And we were, and we were, and we had a, I think, I believe an, a 90% success rate up to the top, uh, which is amazing because it shows that you can actually affect your response to uh, decreased pressure, decreased ox- and, and de- decreased oxygen saturation by using these breathing techniques. Um, well, yeah, that, that's um, 
when I read that, it was pretty interesting because, um, you know, most of you made it up there and, uh, um, you know, and and in such a fast time um, just by doing this simple method. Mm -hmm. Totally. And it's, and the applications for anyone who's a mountaineer uh, are, are, uh, are great because, you know, usually what they say is that the only way to counteract altitude sickness is to decrease your altitude. You have to, you know, you, you, you climb and if, if you start to get those symptoms, which is, you know, swelling in your limbs, uh, uh, dizziness, uh, loss of coordination in general, um, and eventually uh, fluid in the lungs and death. That's, that's what happens with altitude sickness. And the, the only treatment was to bring someone down. But now, what we know with the Wim Hof method is if you breathe hard all the way up your ascent, you, you're counteracting uh, the major effects of altitude sickness. Or at least that's what we did. And, there are now, and there's also a, a scientific paper that I cite um, where there was, the year before I did this, a, uh, a, what is he, emergency med- wilderness emergency medicine doctor uh, did a study on the people who, who ascended and, and showed that this works. Um, well, you know, it's in, encouraging, even if um, you're just, you know, I just, I love the, all these stories of, of how well something so simple works, because when you take people that are, are sick, which I think most of you were, and then you, you in six months can turn it around to actually climbing Mount Kilimanjaro successfully, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, I think it can give a lot of people who, who aren't well, a lot of hope as well, that they have the tools and um, available to them to help themselves with very little cost to them as well. Absolutely. I mean, you don't need to buy a drug. You don't need to, I mean, there's, there's, there's nothing external that you need to start working with other than some bag of advice, right? You can learn the Wim Hof breathing method online. Like you could just Google Wim Hof breathing method and lots of people have YouTube videos. Um, you know, I, you know, there's my book. There's just so many resources out there for people. Uh, and, and the, the, you know, it's it's super cheap, right? And there's there's and there's really not much risk here in doing this. I mean, if if it doesn't work for you, then just ditch it, and you're not really out anything other than maybe some cold showers and some cringeworthy events. <laughs> cringeworthy is is true until you get used to it. But I'm going to keep trying, and and uh, um, I'll uh, I'll see if I can relax in the shower, just like everyone else. I think that that cold is something that I I don't enjoy and and can't do. But I'm sure that um, you know it, it's like you said, it, it's just adjusting, acclimatizing to it. That's right. It's it, it's it's something that happens quick, and you know you have to get out of the mindset that it's the worst thing in the world, right? It, 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 there's a huge mental component of this because you're trying to assert your mental abilities over your physical body, and you just need to realize when you're doing that that it's not so bad. You know, it's not as bad as as your mind uh, lets you think it is. It's just mildly uncomfortable, and then eventually it becomes this buzz. It becomes I'm doing this challenging thing, and it feels great to be able to do this. Uh, so if, if there's anybody listening who wants more information, um, how can they get a hold of you or your book? Uh, well, I have all the normal platforms. There's, you can find me on Facebook, Scott Carney, author page. There's a What Doesn't Kill Us author, author page. Uh, there is Twitter, SG Carney. You can really find me anywhere. The book is available on Amazon and in bookstores everywhere. It was a New York Times bestseller. And if you really like the sound of my voice, there's an audio book, too, where you get to listen to me for eight straight hours or nine straight hours or what it is. It's great. I'll keep you company all night. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Scott, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. This was a great episode. Great. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Just be sure to make today a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week. 